0: Welcome to the Freedom Founder Podcast. I'm your host, Zach Duggar. Now, when I was in elementary school, we got our first Nintendo. I spent several hours, multiple different times and seasons in my life playing Nintendo, playing Sega, playing video games, and my dad told me it was a waste of time. Now, that said, the video game industry is well over a hundred billion dollars per year in annual revenues. Now, my guest today, John Krajewski, is a part of the video game industry. He started off working for other companies, and then in two thousand nine, founded his own company, Strange Loop Games. John, thank you for joining me today.
1: My pleasure, Zach. Thanks for having me on.
0: Absolutely. Now, when you got into video games, uh, perhaps even stepping back as a young child, were you always interested in video games, gaming?
1: Okay. I was obsessed ever since I was a kid. Even before my parents would buy me Nintendo, I made Zelda on like pen and paper and pretended to play. Okay. uh, Yeah. Just kind of kept that obsession as I grew up and turned it into my uh, hobby and then into my career and then into my company. So think having that at awesome. an early age is really helpful.
0: Yeah. Now, most people, when they are having a passion early on in their lives, they um, something like that, let's say, it, it, it seems like it's more of a hobby. And a lot of people will push against that, like, yeah, you're no, there's no future in that. And they may then deter them from going down that path. Did you have anyone in your life that was like, ah, no, I don't think that's really a
1: pursuit that you should follow? <laughs> Not really. Actually, my dad was really supportive of it. He got nice. me like Commodore 64 and like programming books. Okay. I mean, you'd kind of see the writing on the wall, that like computers are going to be huge. And if I'm like yep. obsessed with games, you know, I'm obsessed with computers. So there was that natural connection there. But uh, yeah, fortunately, it's something that's really grown into a massive industry, as you, as you said, and it, it's just getting yeah. bigger too. Yeah, yeah, absolutely.
0: I mean, there's been so many advances over time. Just in the time frame that we've been alive, really, just to see the uh, maybe the early, um, I, I, we had an Atari at some point. We had a Nintendo, uh, mm-hmm. Commodore sixty four. I think we might have had that at one point. I might have played Space Invaders, maybe if that was what it was, if I recall. Mm-hmm. But uh, man, it, it is definitely something that has advanced significantly over time.
1: Yeah. And not just like in terms of the raw graphics and power, which is like photorealistic now. Yeah. But also just in like the variety and like the medium as an art form. Sure. Like, there's so many interesting, like types of ways to play games, you know, on different platforms, user generated content is becoming huge. So players are becoming creators themselves. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it's just uh really emerging as like the dominant medium for, this century I think and we're just going to keep see that accelerating. Yeah, absolutely. Now
0: when you got started in the industry, I briefly referenced that, but you did not immediately out of the gate start your own company. Talk a little bit about your experiences before Strange Loop Games.
1: Sure, yeah. So I worked uh was, I went to uh, University of Washington, studied computer science. Okay. And I got an internship at a company called Wild Tangent which was doing like web games at the time. yeah. Uh, and then after I graduated, I went to work for Midway, which is, you know, a big studio that's been around for forever. And then I went to EA, which is another big studio. So I had about eight years in the traditional kind of games industry um, <clears throat> before I started my business. And so during that eight years, you know, you're, building your skills, understanding how the whole industry works, you know, if you're paying, paying lots of attention, that it's all going to be really useful when you start your own business and also just building your network. I mean, that's obviously one yeah. of the, the most important things it's like, you know, the people I started my company with were people that I, I worked with prior. So building that network out is a really nice way to do it. I think if I had started it just out of college, I mean, you get a little bit, you get a head start, but it's also more challenging just cause you don't have the knowledge. You don't have the network. You know, you got to do all the like learning yourself versus kind of getting paid to do that learning. Uh, Yeah. So, so it worked out well for, for our position. Now, did you do any period of
0: time where you were overlapping getting your company started while you were still working for these other?
1: Yeah. Well, uh, like a lot of people in the game industry, I had my hobby project. So as I was working at these companies, I just had like my little background hobby game that I was making and over the years, I just kept adding to it and adding to it. And it got to the point where I was like, you know what? This is getting to be pretty cool. What if I just quit yeah. my job and just like fully dedicated myself to this? So that was the point that I like turned it into a company and went from being like a yeah. hobby to like my main project. So yeah, there was that ramp up time of like a couple of years actually.
0: Okay. All right. So I was talking to somebody the other day who they shifted from working in a corporate job to then uh, deciding to do something, um, using technology, but um an online type business. Um, but that required some some time and then cutting back on expenses and they had to move in with family during that time frame. Did you have to make mm-hmm. any adjustments in your life at that point when you shifted into starting your company and moved yes. out of
1: working yes. for EA Sports? I actually well yeah. I saved up a bunch before I, I made that jump and then Yep basically just decided to live really cheaply. So okay. living off credit cards and ramen, basically. Okay. Uh, and I was roommating yep. with my co founder at the time. Yeah. Um, so that was that was kind of the route we took it. I mean, there's other ways to do it. Like, probably a little later in my career, I would have been able to get funding because I'd had a okay. little more experience. But it's kind of at that point where like, I had to like bootstrap it myself just because I hadn't had that, uh, that level of experience that people would give me money yet. OK. Um, and uh, yeah, it, it worked out for, for us, though.
0: Yeah. No, I'll dig into that a little bit more in regards to funding for something like uh, a video game project or something in the technology world. I hear about, you know, first round of funding, second round of funding. We got more from these venture capital funds. So how how is that compared to the way that you got started?
1: Right. So, yeah, we I mean, our our approach is kind of called bootstrapping where we just start with no money and we just put sweat equity. in. so basically it was me and my co-founders, you know, I was working full time, just living cheap. My co-founder was too. And then we had a couple other people who were working uh, part-time on the project. And we basically spent like a year like that until we got the game to a point where we could show it to a publisher and they would fund us. So we got publisher funding, just kind of like the, the book model where they just give you money based on the project. It's mm-hmm. not uh, it's not equity uh, dilutive, so they're not investing in the okay. company. They're more just like yeah. investing in the project. Um, okay. So that kind of got us to the next stage. We got our first game out. You know, make some money. We put that into the next one. We do some contract <laughs> work. So just kind of a variety of like different like bootstrapping, stepping it up, kind of growing that snowball uh, versus the other approach of uh, like raising venture capital or something like that. So we're yeah. actually starting that right now. We're raising. Uh, I'm Talking to VCs and we're looking to do a round for our uh, what we want to make next. Okay. And uh, yeah, it's a different beast, but uh, it it was less of an option back when we were first starting. There weren't many like gaming VCs, mm-hmm. but okay. now the games industry is just so massive that there's lots of them. So it's it's a lot uh, more viable these days to do that. Yeah. Uh, but they are looking for a particular type of thing. You know, they want that hockey stick exit. They want to see like is this a game that's just going to grow linearly or do you have something about it that's going to make it go like exponential so they can get the returns that venture capital needs. So they like platforms, they like tools, they like things that like can scale like infinitely like that. So framing kind of what we want to build in that respect for VCs has been uh, kind of the key for this next stage for us. Okay.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Whereas you're needing it to support yourselves and of course wanting to make additional money over time a venture capitalist funding option they really need to see that accelerate for their investors that are giving funds for them to then give to you to you guys okay that makes sense now when you started strange loop games it was just you and, and your, your co-founder and then you said you had some others that were coming alongside and helping in the projects mm-hmm. but what type of games were you guys focused on at the start what was your first
1: project mm-hmm. this was back in 2009 so this was kind of the like indie games are really just taking off so okay. if you wanted to build a an indie game uh puzzle platformer it was called Vessel, and it was built on this this physics simulation of like liquid. So you could take like okay. liquid, like flow in the game. You could turn it into these creatures that were then animated, and would like move around. It could melt and reform and stuff. So it's really a unique kind of uh, characters and like systems we had in the game. Yeah. Um, and that was our main focus. I mean, it took a lot of work because we had to build our own engine. This was before like Unity and Unreal were big options, which are now the, the main game engines people work in. So that just takes a lot of time. Then we built a whole like physics engine and like the AI for these characters. So it was a pretty big investment that these days it's a lot easier to get started in games because there's such great tool sets available for free. Like anyone just go download unity and make something on their phone in like a day. Yeah. So yeah, back then it was, uh, you know, it was less crowded because it was harder, but it was also just like a lot of work, you know, getting that uh, snowball going
0: yeah, so there's some of the systems that are available now that make it more efficient or less less coding, perhaps um, mm-hmm. make it a lot easier for somebody to make something on a simple level at least. How, yeah. how does that work with regards to the competition now, as you've gotten to this point where there is a little more involvement, more people that have some interest and are engaging in this video game design and trying to make it in this market.
1: Yeah. There's, uh, you know, hundreds of thousands of games on mobile now. Yeah. just It's a very crowded space. So like it used to be that you just make a game and it would stand out because there weren't all that many games out there. Right. Um, but, but now that you've got to have, you've really got to think about your marketing and the design of the game of like, how, how does the design of this product promote its own marketing so for us that's uh multiplayer is a huge part okay. of that because mm-hmm. if you play a game and you're like oh i want my friends to join me then there you have this natural inclination to like tell people and invite them and it yeah. adds to the experience to them so the more that you can kind of build that into the game the better position you are against competition because it's all about just like getting the word out getting people to talk about it getting people to like be engaged enough that they are like your promoters kind of especially as an indie operation where if we didn't you know we don't yeah. have a marketing budget when we started Yeah. Um, so yeah that was that was really key in a lot of our decision making about what type of game we'd want to make it's like how do we make it market itself
0: oh yeah no that makes sense and having it be something that multiplayer option creates that in, in the built-in opportunity for it to be marketed by the individual players while they were engaging in play like check out this game hey man you can join me let's get this together
1: exactly exactly you have that route for them to like expose it to their friends and these days uh the streamer audience is also super key so like on twitch people play games just you know people just watch it's like millions of kids and not everybody knows this but like twitch is like the fourth biggest website and millions of people just watch people play video games and that's a huge vector that's kind of like all of our marketing is is coming through that is people like a famous streamer will play eco and yeah. uh, suddenly our sales are 10x in France i'm like what's going yeah. on who oh, is some french streamer who's playing our game so right making the game like great to be streamed and watched is another way to kind of activate your uh, your marketing that way okay
0: and video games and really technology software it's an international market But it also makes it so your workforce can also be international. How does working with individuals internationally and remote locations work for Strange Loop? As you've grown and had to add in additional individuals, what are the advantages and
1: disadvantages there? Yeah, so we originally started, we we were kind of on two continents to begin with. Okay. Uh, so that was in Seattle, and my co-founder uh, Malenko was in Australia. Okay. So we started off kind of split, but then we had a Seattle office for a while, and uh, we did that for several years, which is great to have like everybody able to like talk and be in the same room. Yeah. Uh, but then right before COVID, kind of coincidentally, we just decided to go a lot more uh, global. So we got rid yeah. of our office. Everybody works online now. And we started hiring internationally, too. So we hire people okay. who are mm-hmm. uh, players of the game. So because we had the game out there, yeah. we had lots of people who were like, hey, I love this game, and I'm a programmer. I'd love to, like, help you out. Some people would just, like, we'd share our source code, so they just get in there and start fixing bugs. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, uh, you, you want a job? Like, you're doing a pretty good job here already. We can start paying you for this. So we, uh, we started hiring internationally. We're currently 32 people in 26 different countries.
0: Okay. So...
1: Yeah, so we have a a lot of time zones to manage. I mean, that's always a challenge. Um, The way we approach that is we kind of have uh, we've formed sub teams that are in similar time zones. So you're usually overlapping Uh, meetings like doing our all hands meeting. There's no time or it's not like 3 a.m. for somebody. Sure. Uh, So some some people just have to watch the recording for that later or we'll do multiple meetings. So yeah. there's a couple of trade offs you got to think about when you're hiring globally like this, but then there's really good advantages. Like, our hiring pool is now the whole world. Yeah. Right? Whereas, <clears throat> and uh, we're exposed to countries that have much lower cost of living. So, we can much more effectively spend and we can pay them what's an awesome salary in like mm-hmm. Poland or Kazakhstan. And for us, it's like way cheaper than we would have to pay when we're competing with yeah. Google over here. So, it's a win win for, for both of us. Absolutely. so there's there's lots of opportunities like that 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 happen from the the global approach. Um, and it's been good. I mean, one of the biggest challenges is like you got to rethink how you build culture. Mm-hmm. This is kind of something I just learned over the past few years and just that that value of culture. And that by default, it's not necessarily gonna happen. You kind of need to like think about how do I craft a really good culture. You know it's a lot easier when everybody's in person talking to each other. But uh, it does have such an impact on the business. It's so kind of what yeah. we do is we try to, to do it online where we have, a, we have a Discord server, which is just a chat room where everyone can get in there and interact with each other. Um, and we play online games together. So we can kind of connect okay. in that respect. Yeah, so Just finding ways to like foster communications between people. You know, we play the game together. We play other games together. Uh, it actually becomes really important.
0: Yeah, yeah, just to get continued engagement. You don't have that direct in person engagement per se, but you have that ongoing engagement and and in an activity that you can enjoy and relate to one another with, it sounds like. Exactly, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So you mentioned the game Eco. Was mm-hmm. that the game that really brought the biggest launch for uh Strange Loop?
1: Yeah, this has been our biggest success. Uh, we've okay. done about six games, uh, and Eco is the one that's really most resonating with players. It's our main like multiplayer game. It's moddable, so players can kind of make their own mods. So there's okay. all these communities. There's like thousands of communities that players host their own worlds and build out these amazing like civilizations in them. Yeah. Um, yeah, I could share a screen. Do you do? You want me to share the visual on there? Oh, well,
0: uh, yeah. I mean, if you can, absolutely. That that would be great. I'd love to see it. It's something that um, you know. I think over time, uh, I've, I've seen my. I don't play video games presently that much. A little bit with my son here and there, but he loves to play Rocket League. Rocket mm-hmm. League is a game that he can go in and he can create um you know these different cars and then he can add more money so it's it's something that he can modify to a certain extent but um i love this concept of a game that you can continue to enjoy and modify and change over time as opposed to those early games that i enjoyed playing but if you've completed those levels and you've beat the game got to the final boss then where do you go from there and replay it. if All you right. want. So yeah. So let's but yeah. Let's let's share a little bit of this now for those that are going to be listening to this. You know, we're going to talk a little bit about the elements because they won't have that visual to see it.
1: Yeah, sure. <clears throat> um, but yeah, to your point of, you know, games have much more. Customizability. Like, I love Rocket League for that. You can really customize your cars and everything. Yeah. In our game Eco, you are basically customizing a whole world where you're with other people. Uh, okay. So you're building up this society from scratch. Like, you start from this pure, just wilderness, and you have to take resources from the environment in order to uh, create your civilization. But in the process of that, you can actually impact the environment. So you can you know, chop down too many trees. You can make species go extinct. You can actually damage yeah. or pollute it. Okay. So yeah. you have to understand this impact you're having and make decisions as a group. And you do that with, uh, with the government. So you can create a government in the game that makes laws, makes regulations. And it's all with real people forming together. So you think just really interesting interactions that are, you know, different every time because people have different ideas, how to approach things, different kinds of conflicts arise. Yep. And you're trying to achieve this end level goal of shooting a meteor down. Okay. Uh, So you you have to build like industry technology research to stop this disaster from happening uh, where everybody kind of has a part to play in that. So you have to trade, you have to have your own kind of niche. But it really involves everybody, and kind of unites unites people together. It's really just like virtual society idea is what we're doing.
0: Yeah, no, oh, I love that, and and it also seems that there's some elements in there about uh, the uh, environment and mm-hmm. <laughs> and consideration of of the global environment in which we live
1: yeah exactly so the whole game runs on a, a simulation that we coded up which is okay basically using like ecological principles simulating populations how they're impacted by like loss of habitat or pollution mm-hmm. uh so the visuals here you can see we expose the graphs of all that to players so they can see like what's happening with the different animal populations what's the co2 level you know is going to make sea levels rise so you kind of use you can view all that data, and then use it to make decisions. Okay. Uh, for example, you can pass laws. So like, if you, a law is passed, then it will prevent players from uh, from violating it on the server. In this law, you gotta like run it through elections and get it approved by your government. So it's a really powerful way to like make decisions as a group. This is an example of our law interface here, where you can tag it onto different actions. And then uh, like here, if you chop down a tree that's an old-growth redwood species, uh, and you're not a federal civil servant, then it's prevented. So this is like a script that players actually yep. like script the civics of yep. this world. So super fascinating okay. what they build.
0: Yeah. No, I think that's that's a really uh, unique and there's depth to that consideration. Not just here's uh, this this place you're you're working in, but you can actually take these simulations and you know identify if, if you do this, then this does occur, and that's the impact that
1: mm-hmm. you have. Yeah, exactly. You're much more tied to the consequences of your actions, which I think is really powerful just in like a, a human sense, you know, there's stakes to the Mm -hmm. game that like you can lose this world.
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm going to go ahead and drop it back to just us here. Um, as I saw a little bit of delay in the video for those that are watching some uh, delays on my side, at least, but, um, how is it then, you mentioned the in regards to the uh, working in a global environment uh, with your uh, team, and I know that there is an important part of a business, the leadership and the uh, creativity that you have to have to be able to continue to move that vision forward. You know, How do you operate that as a CEO and co-founder of this company, um, because you know, I think of myself. I did not go into business. You studied computer science, so mm-hmm. taking a step back and considering, like, how did you have to develop in those skill sets to be a leader and develop that creative vision and maintain that leadership with a global team to be able to move. Yeah vision of strange loop forward
1: yeah that's a great question i think there's a lot of ways to kind of approach that and the way that i approached that was <clears throat> just kind of proving myself first of like spending years coding up this hobby project you know yeah in my spare time to the point where it's like i have this so it's like okay you can make something cool that people are interested in so the, the proof is in the pudding in that way yeah um, i think of finding a way to like you know, what is it that differentiates you? What is it you can do that like is extraordinary and then being able to like show that gives you a lot of credibility in terms of like raising funding or like finding team partners. So yeah, I think you kind of got to know yourself and know what your strengths are and know what your Mm -hmm. weaknesses are and then find people who can, uh, can cover those weaknesses. But um or just keep developing them, because like my background is like you said programming. But then when mm-hmm. I start my own company now, I'm doing a bit of everything. I'm doing the business side, right. I have to hire people. I have to figure out the finances and the yeah. design side too, which is a whole nother can of worms. Um, right. So I had to ex- expand a lot of my skills, and it's kind of it's I like it, but it's challenging that you don't have someone like telling you what to do anymore. It's like sure. you you know, when I was working at EA, I just kind of naturally absorbed all kinds of learning just because I'm around other really smart yeah. people. But now I'm like starting my company, I'm alone or there's just a couple people and they're not working in the areas that we need to master. So it takes a lot more just energy of like going out there, talking, you know, learning on your own, figuring out what resources you need, meeting people, being, uh, you know, extroverted and just like get connecting to people who can kind of help you or advise you. Um, okay. So that really, you know, Helps you kind of crystallize your vision that way as you start to fill those gaps
0: yeah yeah i like that in regards to and you stand out your how you stand out and then also identifying the areas in which you're lacking so that you can then grow in those areas or bring in other people to help kind of cover your areas that you are lacking mm-hmm. but continuing to maintain that growth mindset and gaining mentors along the way so let me ask you one question that I'd like to ask all of my guests. If you're to be handed a million dollars today with no restrictions attached to it, how would you invest that in your business or another endeavor and why?
1: Right. We have a lot of plans that we're working towards that I could easily yep. like sink that into, uh, which is, you know, we want to take the next step with our project and make connected worlds to eco there's other okay. worlds that you can travel between and connect to so that would be kind yeah. of the obvious one and that's the path we're already kind of on but if this is just like a million dollars from heaven i can spend mm-hmm. on whatever i want i might try some other uh, projects that i've been interested in like other games that I, i've wanted to try i okay. really love this idea of like uh you know online places that have their life of their own so yeah. like uh Like, you know, you watch like Game of Thrones and this world has such a reality to it, right? Right. That should be a video game with real people. Like, and it's not just a story. It's like it's happening because people like own the villages and the castles and the kings are like actual people having these wars. Like, I want that place to exist. So, right. I think I would. uh, Yeah. If a million dollars from heaven, I would probably just start something like that. Okay. I like it.
0: I, I like it, John. Now, if anyone wants to find out more about the work that you're doing, have done, and I continue to do what's the best way for someone to connect with you?
1: Yeah, you can just uh, follow me on Twitter or LinkedIn, okay. um, or uh, shoot me an email too.
0: Okay. All right. Uh, so, John, and then we're going to put it in the show notes. So we'll make sure that people have the correct spelling, but Kraevsky. Uh, K-R-A-J-E-W-S-K-I. That's right. All right. Well, thank you very much for your time. I appreciate this conversation. It's definitely an area that there is a big market for people to be operating in. So I love to see that you chase that passion, had the support from your family to continue to push forward into it.
1: Yeah. Thanks a lot, Zach. And uh, yeah, great talking to you.
0: Absolutely. I look forward to seeing what you continue to do. Awesome. Take care.
1: See you up.